Alright, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Mark Jacobson, J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N, and he has recently published a book, the title of which is Pale Horse Rider, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy, and The Fall of Trust in America. It was published uh, in September of this year, and I just completed reading it. It's an excellent book, and we're really happy to have him on the show. Mark, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. Thanks so much for uh, agreeing to the interview. If you can, if, just to get started, can you please tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you became interested in this subject? Well, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. I was born here. I live here. Um, you might be able to tell it from my voice, but um, that was not too bad. And, um, well, you know, my interest, I've been a general interest, but I, I don't know exactly what to call it, but I've been a magazine writer for the past nearly 50 years, and um, I usually do topics that are, I rarely do the same thing twice. I don't know why that is, but um, um, anyway, I like, to, I like to jump around and do different kinds of things. I've done, done like I was the music critic of Esquire magazine for a couple of years, and then I was a foreign correspondent guy that they sent me overseas, you know, different kinds of stories like that. And uh, I just like to jump around. And certain topics kind of jump out at me, and um, somehow some of them I forget all about uh, after a while thinking them over, and some of them just sort of stay in there for strange reasons that I've never really been able to ascertain because my... Other books are not about this kind of stuff at all. So, um, anyway, uh, William Cooper is, is a fascinating figure to me, um, in the sense, partially because of how I came to find out about him, sort of like bonded, I'm kind of bonded with him. I don't think we have, a, I don't think our conversation, if we both actually were in the same room together, would actually end well, but, um, I find him a fascinating figure nevertheless. So, um, uh, what happened to me was um, I had met somebody uh, who said that he had something very important to show me. This was years ago, and um, and he what he and it was his father was dying. I thought it was as soon as about his father, but actually when we got back to his apartment, he showed me a copy of his Zapruder film, which is um, for everybody might not know. It's the um, it's the only visual, live visual record of Kennedy's assassination. So he showed me this film, and he said that you should, I should watch the driver because the guy who was driving the car, a man named William Greer, is actually going to turn around and shoot the president in the head. Now, this was, when I was looking at this film, it was probably like 1991 or something, I don't know. But it was many, many years after the Kennedy assassination, and I heard hundreds of Kennedy assassination conspiracies and rationales for why it might have happened, but I certainly never heard that the driver shot him. And uh, But if you look at the video, if you look at the video of the Zapruder film long enough, and you had a few drinks or something like that, you might actually see the guy turn around and shoot the guy, because it does look a little bit like that. So I, I thought this was kind of weird, and... Um, I asked him, like, where'd you get that film? And he said, well, I bought it from a guy named William Cooper. And um, William, who was then going around the country selling these footage, this footage of Zapruder film, you know, saying that um, the driver shot the cat, shot the president. So um, then several years after that, kind of unrelated, I was walking down the street near my house, and I saw... Um, Old Dirty Bastard, who is a member of the Wu Tang Clan, which I don't know. I don't know what your readership, yeah. what your listenership is about, but they might know who he is. They probably know the reference. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, in any event, I saw this guy who's kind of the Ringo star of the Wu Tang Clan. It was a rap group from Brooklyn, from where near where I live, and um, he was reading "Behold the Pale Horse," which is William Cooper's book. Now, um, I didn't really get to talk to him at the time, but it stuck in my mind that, well, I said, there's that guy again, William Cooper. And um, then I found out that not only was William 
Cooper and his book, very popular among other rappers, but it was really actually one of the most read books in the New York State prison system. So I, I found that to be kind of strange also, and I put these two things together, and I realized that William Cooper, who I now know was a, um, a guy who most people said was into militia and lived in Arizona, and his book was somehow being read by all these African Americans that lived around my house. So I thought that that was a kind of um, cultural something. I couldn't even figure out what that I felt obligated to try to investigate. So um, that's where it first started for me with Bill Cooper. And then I well, listened to his show and all that kind of stuff, and I liked right. it. So you, um, when would you first think you started putting pen to paper and started uh, researching this book? Well, I, I first thought about it up to write it. I'm actually do it as a book. One years went by. I wrote several books before that. Gotcha. Then somehow around 2013 or 14, um, it just seemed like he was he was coming up again. You know, he was like I don't know how to explain the way your imagination works and what makes you want to devote a lot of time to a topic that most people that you that you don't know anything about. And actually, think is kind of crazy. So, uh, but in any event, I felt that there was something there. It was interesting to me, and um, there was some of the stuff that he was saying, which maybe ten or fifteen years before I would never ever think had very much veracity to it. Then I would think that, well, actually, as time went on, it made a lot more sense to me. So um, now I'm not. There wasn't really necessarily any kind of political issue that we're talking about here, just that some of the stuff that he was saying, not necessarily his predictions, but he seemed to have an attitude that was matching more people that I kept running into. Interesting. I mean, people that felt that like things were not fair, things were not, that, that everything was rigged, and that like, you know, you really didn't have a chance um, to get ahead, unless, and, and that kind of feeling that... It's really there's no there's no right wing or left wing about it. It's just a lot of people feel that way. Right. And uh, and um, and I just sort of like the stuff that William Cooper was saying was kind of interesting. And then I, I guess many people that may listen to your show know they know all about Alice Jones and that kind of stuff. And this stuff right. was beginning to peak. You know, I was wondering where it came from. You know, like where did a lot of this stuff come from? And then I remember William Cooper was really the the first person to really articulate. That kind of, you know, in a, in a kind of reasonable way that wasn't too Nazi or any kind of stuff like that. Right. So, like, you know, like, you know, he was like somebody who was a, seemed like a person who was not really necessarily politically biased to one side or the other, the way things are now, but really was somebody who was actually seeking a kind of American truth that I also was seeking. You know, something about this country that we need to know. And the way he was researching it, like, and I mean, all the famous stuff about him that his fans know about the UR research and stuff like that, and wake up people, that all sounded kind of okay, you know. And, um, and, uh, I just thought I began to see him not necessarily as any kind of political person necessarily, or just somebody who was seeking, the, was actually seeking the truth, whether he found it or not, or whether the stuff that he thought was the truth is not really up to me to say. I just really enjoyed thinking about somebody who was deadly serious about trying to figure out what's going on. Right. And somebody who wasn't necessarily an academic or, you know, just somebody who was doing it from the seat of his pants and was original about it, not necessarily right, repeating everything he saw on the Internet or something right. like that. Well, he was probably so one of the first kind of fringe... That time. Right. The fr first fringe researcher, pre-Alex Jones... You know, that, I think that William Cooper was really the model for these kind of future uh, researchers into secret societies and secret history. Really can trace their lineage back through William Cooper. Yeah, well, a lot, there's always been a lot of these people. I mean, you know, William Cooper's read all these books, people that were written by people kind of like with his mindset. That's how he got his idea. But, I mean, Alice Jones was actually William Cooper's acolyte. He used to listen to him every night. Right. I mean, when he was a young fraternity boy, whatever he was, <laughs> back in Dallas or Austin, wherever Austin, he was. Austin, yeah. Um, he used to listen to uh, 
William Cooper, under, you know, like the way I used to listen to Cousin Brucey or like one of these kind of radio DJs back when I was a young... You well, know, that was interesting because... One, sleep, you know? Right. I well, William Cooper was... He was one of the first or early shortwave radio. I mean, he was accessible pre-internet, right? Yeah, no, well, the thing is, that's also another thing I found to be interesting about him. But just to finish the thing about Alex Jones, Alex Jones was the person, when the night that William Cooper was shot dead, um, Alex Jones, in one of the few times I've ever noticed him doing anything like that, actually did some reporting on this and called up several people in town to try to get an idea of what had happened to Bill Cooper. And, um, you know, that was kind of like, uh, every enterprising on his part, but it was mostly because he really cared about William Cooper. Well, the I don't think had all these balls yeah, the, out and yeah, the like feelings that. weren't mutual, right? Calling, but right yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. Bill Cooper is a kind of guy like. I mean, I think that he probably disliked almost every other radio host <laughs> for one reason or another. You rarely hear him say anything good about anybody who's actually living. You know, so um, you know he's a. He's a crotchety guy, you know, and that's one of those things I found interesting about him. I mean, he was just sort of like, you know, he was off on his own. He was thinking of his own stuff, and um, he came up with a lot of interesting conclusions, some of which were, um, I mean, he, he's, I always, when people ask me about him, I always say he was like part of Prophet and part of Huckster. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, yeah. the, the prophetic part, you know, was stuff that he, you know, which we could talk about it. The Huckster part was there all the time. I mean, he was trying to make a living right. being on the radio. I mean, you know, he wasn't doing it for love, really. And he's trying to, I mean, he was in a way, but he was trying to make a living as well. And there were certain so-called conspiracy theories that he used to mouth, and I don't think he really believed in them. You know, I don't think he really cared whether the Americans had gone to the moon or not, or any of this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, there were certain things that we really cared about, and one of them was the Constitution of the United States, which every American should care about. Right. And they should know what it says, and then when people misquote it, or, you know, they should, they should know that. And that was one of the things that Cooper said, because he was like, you know, dead center on that. He wasn't... Well, he, one, of, one of the things I learned in your book is that he became a, a very active member of the Constitutionalist Party when back when it was not even popular at all. Oh, well, it was that guy, Aaron Russo, who started this thing. Remember him? Yes, of course. Huh? Yeah, so like, um, well, Cooper had gotten, uh, I don't know, Aaron Russo and him were mixed up somehow. I don't exactly know, but Cooper was, there was some guy who was trying to make a movie of Cooper's life, and then Aaron Russo came around and said he could do it better. And then Cooper, and Cooper believed Aaron Russo, and then Aaron, and then he had a huge falling out with him, as he always did, on the, actually on the radio. And, um, that was Philip that was Lambro. That, but yeah, no. Yeah, Philip Lambro was Philip the guy. Lambro, who was Philip Lambro. Yeah, Philip Lambro. I talked to Philip Lambro. He was an interesting character, man. I gotta say. Well, was, um, I, I, I just give you full credit for going and, and tracking down all these people uh, who I didn't know Cooper was, you know, had relationships with. Aaron Russo, who was, uh, you know, he, uh, Alex Jones referenced him, and he had done a lot of independent research himself. Uh, famously had a discussion about him, Russo, sitting down with one of the Rockefeller uh, family heirs and talking about, you know, the future, the future of the New yeah. World Order, really something that... Uh, something that William Cooper would talk about. Yeah, but I think that, well, I mean, I'd see, like, I'm not really, I'm a journalist, you know. I, I come at this topic from the point of view of, well, I mean, okay, this is what this is what the material is. First thing you got to do is get out of your house and go around and start talking to everybody who actually knew the person and, and see what they say, you know, as opposed to just reading the same old crap on the Internet. I mean, which I, is a pet peeve of mine, and I won't bring it up anymore. <laughs> I, I, find it, I find some so-called, you know, so-called truthers on the Internet who basically are cut and pasting everything as it was on there, and they haven't had an original thought in their life. Um, you know, I, I, I can tell you stories about that. Holy smokes. I can tell you But, you know, I give you credit. You didn't just, you didn't just leave your house. You actually traveled to Arizona. You actually went to I went the three area. or four times. You yes. know what I mean? Because I, I, that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, I, I don't think people even. You know, I, I'm not trying to blow my own horn or anything like this. 
this is the way I was brought up to do this job, you know, and I really find it repellent to have, you know, the chief bozo in charge here telling me that I'm a member of the enemy of the people, you know, because, like, people, what journalists do is they go out and find out, you know, and then they write down what they, they're doing their job well. I'm not saying they all are, but um, this is something you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go talk, like, if Bill Cooper was in the flying saucer thing, which he definitely was, I mean, the person to speak to is John Lear, because he knew him very well. So I went out there to Las Vegas and I talked to the guy, but that's not a big deal. That's what you're supposed to do. But that was that was very so, in, very interesting. Can you talk about uh, Bill Cooper lived in Eager, which is on the east part of Arizona, very close to the New Mexico border. Can you talk a little bit about what that country was like and where where he lived? Oh yeah, it's, it's very it's very beautiful. It's, uh, I love it very much. I I like going there. I went to um, my wife and I went out there on two different occasions to uh, the thing that Doyle family was running the. Uh, which Cooper had started called Skills, um, it's called Skills and Research Conference. And, um, and uh, you know, you need to learn how to do these things in the woods and stuff like that. And, and, but mostly we're shooting, you know, which was great because you don't get to do that back here in New York. So we thought that was fantastic. We could actually who was, for people who, don't, for people who don't know, who was Doyle Shanley? Well, Doyle was a guy who, um, still is a guy, um, he, he um, worked with Cooper for a while. Um, Cooper, he was putting on a, he was putting on this thing called, he was running a kind of, uh, lack of any better term, a kind of patriot kind of uh, uh, talk show kind of thing, where he'd have guests come to his uh, town of Portersville, Portersville, California, and you know people like Bo Gritz, so Bo Gritz would come and. Uh, you know, some you know those kind of guys, right. and then um, and um, and then one time he wanted to get Cooper to come, and Cooper drives a hardball bargain, and he you know so Doyle said, well you know, you can come up here, but you can't be an asshole about it. And Cooper said, who, who whoever said I was? What would you say that? So everybody says that. So they kind of got on after that. <laughs> they became friendly. That's that's kind of they both had that kind of similar sense of humor, you know. So, um, and then Doyle went down there and um, he began to live in Cooper's place and he's responsible, along with another guy named Rob Houghton, for really putting out all those Cooper broadcasts without which there'd be no such thing as Bill Cooper. You know, all those broadcasts, if you look at the uh, Hour of the Time website, those are all kind of semi-preserved. I mean, they're not the best quality, but you can hear it. Um... You know, it was mostly because of the the work of people that really respected Bill Cooper. Right, and he was around. I mean, Doyle. Yeah, Doyle was in a documentary with Cooper. I think in two thousand three, Bill Cooper was uh, killed on November fifth, two thousand one, about six weeks after September eleventh. Yeah. But uh, he That's was shot true. in That's his true. house. But, but uh, Doyle is still around, and uh, yeah, you actually went shooting with him and shot. Actual uh, William Cooper. He told me how to shoot. Doyle's a great teacher. Cool. That's awesome. That's a great story. I don't get that much practice back here. I guess I feel we like, um, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not in favor of people going out and shooting everybody, but I mean, you know, if you want to take them target practice, you should be allowed to do that. So, like, um, you know, but in New York State, they have a really draconian drug gun laws. You can't even, like, look at a gun. So it was fun to go out there, and, and you know, I, I go along with everybody. I don't want to make a big fuss about these political things. But um, so Doyle and I became friends, and, and he, you know, he, he guided me a little bit in the research I did. That's great. And, I mean, you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about Bill Cooper's UFO phase that preceded kind of his Mystery Babylon yeah. political spirit. Can you talk a little bit about that in Lear? Well, I think people don't really... I mean, most of the Cooper fans, I mean, even even Behold the Pale Horse, you know, post-dates his UFO stuff. So I think the UFO stuff has really been kind of mostly forgotten by most of the people that are... I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. You didn't know about it. Yeah, but no. I mean, it's like, that was a big deal for him. I mean, he that's what put him on the map to begin with. Because he had come... Um, it's a fantastic story. I think people should read about it in the book. 
because it really kind of shows the kind of person that Bill Cooper was in the sense of, like, you know, he wanted to get in front. He wanted to get a, a... He needed to say stuff, and he needed to have people listen to him. So, um, and I think he believed, he was a serious believer in the, in the UFO stuff, but he uh, he, he uh, got into it because he had, had this fantastic sighting, which I don't know if he really saw it or not. It's hard to know. Um, this spectacular sighting that he used to talk about all the time, long before he even wrote that book or um, became got on the shortwave radio, which he never, and, and I don't know what his feelings about his UFO period was because he rarely talked about it after that. But he was a big deal. He became one of the best-known ufologists in the country and um, in a very short period of time and uh, also made this class one of his best. To me, one of his greatest performances is um, the speech he gave at the MUFON conference in 1989, which is online. People can find it. But it's just fantastic. I mean, it shows the kind of orator he was. Uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't like the whole thing was fascinating, but the, the way he commands the audience, and he had never spoken in front of that many people, maybe never in his whole life. Yeah, he gets up there, and he's just a natural at doing this. I mean, you can see that he's a brilliant public speaker. And he waited, and, and that later showed up in his radio shows, I think. I mean, to me, I can listen to Bill Cooper, but I don't agree with anything he says at all, because I find to be an engaging uh, radio personality. I like the sound of his voice. You know, and that's now, a good that, part of it. That 1989 MUFON, that was, with, uh, was that where he met Norio Hayek? Kawakaya? I, I can't remember. Yeah, no, he was, well, he met, yeah, he met Norio there, and then Norio, Norio put on, I, I guess it was after, after the Mufan thing, I can't really remember right now. But, um, yeah, Cooper made a famous appearance at Hollywood High School that Norio, the Hayakawa set up. That's right. So and, I'm, I'm um, actually friends with Norio. Norio is a very interesting guy as well. Yeah, he's true. He's a country and west. He's a Japanese country and western music player who only plays for Native Americans. I find that to be kind of fantastic. That's <laughs> but that's another <laughs> personal vignette you include in the book that Norio uh, met Bill Cooper. You know, another person who was familiar. Yeah, and I mean, I just told like you know, I want to find out what the people actually thought of the guy. You know, that actually met him. Um, because when somebody's been dead um, since, well, he's been dead now, 18 years, or something like that. there aren't that many of those people around. But also the thing about Bill Cooper, I mean, he's a legendary figure. I mean, and I mean that in both ways. I mean, he's a legendary figure in the sense that he should be a legendary figure because he did a lot of interesting things. But he also, you know, the legends about Bill Cooper are kind of like competing with the so-called facts, you know. So, um, you know, that was one of those things I was interested in kind of sorting out a little bit. Well, that was an interesting... I mean, the legend of Bill Cooper has lived on in the hip-hop community, the African-American community, and the jail community, and that's something you talk about in the book, which I didn't know about that. You know, so many people, very well-known hip-hop names, you know, people who... Uh, a lot of people who are in that community would know are, are fans or have spent time reading uh, Bill Cooper's, what is it, Mob Deep, Tupac Shakur, Busta Rhymes, Big Daddy Kane, all these people you list out, yeah. uh, you know, how yeah, to all those them. people, all those people, all those people, you know, like you talk to them now, you call them up on the phone, and you say, I like to talk to you about Bill Cooper, they'd be more than happy to talk to you. I mean, uh, it's kind of, it was, you know, I have a, some good friends who are rappers, I mean, I, I was friends with this guy Prodigy in Mob Deep, and he died, unfortunately, but there's a, one of the fascinating things about that is I became friendly through doing this book with a rapper who calls himself William Cooper. And um, and actually, we made a video together about his career because he called himself William Cooper after William Cooper. He took his name and as a tribute. And um, so then I, I put him in the book, so we actually made a video, which has come out in a, few, you know, a couple of weeks. Um which is the first rap video ever made about a book. <laughs> so, and I'll be, it'll be on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. You can look for it in a couple of weeks. Cool. And that this seems to be... brand new. We just finished it. And, oh, cool. Oh, we'll look forward to the, uh, getting that. Do you have a title for it? 
Or is it just that the rapper's yeah, William Cooper? Pedal, it's called it's called Pen. No, it's called Pen Horse Rider. Yeah, Pen Horse Rider. Cool. Just the name of the yeah. book. So uh, uh, and he, it's a fantastic book. I mean, I'm not. Like, you know, he did a great job. William Cooper he made a, a, a great song and. Uh, Video looks pretty good, and I have a little cameo in it. I'm pretty happy with it, actually. <laughs> and the, another, really so everybody in jail, <laughs> that's cool. So then a lot of people in jail read William Cooper's book as well. So they, that seems to be like one of the rite of passages, if you're locked up, is to read uh, Behold a Pale Horse. Well, you know, I mean, it's an interesting, it, that's an interesting thing, and I thought of quite a bit about that, and I wrote about it in the book. Like, why would this book become popular in prison? I think that, like it's partially... Like when you're in prison, you know there's a there's a reason why Alex Jones called his I don't know if he still does it, but one of his original shows he called Prison Planet. Do you remember that? No, it's still around. I think I'm the sure. website's still around. Is, is, that, is that still yeah, it's still around? But I mean, uh, because there's a there's a sense I think that uh, people feel imprisoned. They don't feel because that's really William Cooper's main thing. What he really cared about was the word, was the application of the word freedom. Freedom, it doesn't mean, you know, what does that really mean? I don't think it is any absolute, you know, what's freedom? You can go to the supermarket and buy as many kinds of coffee as you possibly can think of. I mean, what, what is it? I mean, you know, what, what really is it that makes a person feel free? Um, I don't think it's necessarily most of the stuff that people would answer. He's somebody that was one of the deepest thinkers about that, which is which is the kind of thing that philosophers like Hegel and all these other guys would think about all the time. Like, what is that? Free to be free, and that's something that was William Cooper's main inquiry, I think, and that's really why. You know, I was willing, I was able to finish this book and write about him and stay interested in him because I thought he was trying to get to something that I really cared about. You know, we're going to come up with, we're not going to come up with the same definition of what that is, but that's something that people care about. They want to know, they want to feel free. They don't want to feel in prison. And um, when you're actually in prison, you know, um, I think that a book like William Cooper's would make a lot of sense for you. You know, partially, because, you know, he's also, I think there's nobody more paranoid than a guy in prison. But um, so William Cooper's kind of paranoid. And, uh, but it's more than just that. It's just that sense of like trying to be free in a in a world where you're not free, and that's one of the main underlying things that make makes William Cooper live on. And I think he's going to live on. And you know, um, long past guys like Rush Limbaugh and these kind of guys, because those guys are, don't really necessarily believe in anything. They're just radio personalities. William Cooper actually believes in something. So that's the kind of thing that sticks. And um, I'm happy I wrote this book. You know, it's still moderately not great, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy I wrote it. Well, you should be. It's a, it's a fantastic book. I'll give it a five-star easily. I mean, that's, I think that... Well, you can, you've put, done, you can put that book on, you can put that on Amazon. I will. I'm not, I'm no problem. I have a long list of uh, five-star reviews I have to write, but this will be on that list. But I would say that you've done a real great, you've done a, a real credit to the community by listing out just all of the details about his life and his relationships and this kind of passion he had to make people more aware, you know. What what was I like that yeah. quote that you had from Charles Manson, which is total paranoia <laughs> is total awareness. So and I mean I think that if you look through um a lot of the hip hop community, for example, there is a lot of paranoia about secret forces and Illuminati and this oh, yeah, kind of idea yeah, of secret societies time. influence yeah. our lives, yeah. All the time. I mean, well, so what, what kind of, I mean, can I ask you a question? Sure, of course. Well, well you know, like, um, well, who am I talking to? Who usually listens to your show? Oh, I would say people who might even like William Cooper. I would say that I would kind of maybe parapolitical research. You know, I think I've, I've made my bones as researching the occult. So I was an Aleister Crowley researcher. Uh -huh. Um, which oh, is interesting. Yeah. Oh, you, you mentioned Alistair Crowley in your book in a conversation between Anthony Hilder, who's still yeah. around, and uh, Marlon Brando. I thought that was fascinating. But, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I was, a, I was basically a 9-11 researcher, and then I've written books about that and also a satanically influenced crime about the West Memphis. Mm -hmm. That book is Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception. Where this guy? Oh, yeah. uh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Well, he's in your neck of the woods. If you're in New York, I wrote a piece for New York Magazine years ago about 
about 9-11 stuff. It was really early on. But the thing is, that's another thing about William Cooper. Like, William Cooper, if you listen to that broadcast that he did, because um, he was on the air for 10 straight hours on the day of 9-11 when it was actually happening. And he is watching that stuff on television. And he, and, and he wrote about it in the book, so I guess he saw it. But, um, right. I mean, he's, he's basically coming up with most of the, most of the stuff that, that 9-11 Truth people said, began talking about two and three years later. Right. Good you know, point. controlled demolition, that kind of stuff. Osama bin Laden as a patsy. He had Osama bin Laden picked out as a patsy yeah, no, he four or five left. months. That's his great, that's his great moment, yeah. picking that out before it ever happened. That's right. one of his most famous things. But uh, he really was very intuitive about, not necessarily about what exactly happened, but what people are going to think happened. You know, and he's very sharp about that. What people were led to and, believe. Well, you know, also, like, because, I don't know, he's, he's just very sharp about, um, because when you, when, you, when you predict, I mean, I don't take this the wrong way, but I think sometimes it's conspiracy-type mindset how people begin predicting things. It's not really 100% that difficult because you already know who did it. It's not like the detective, like, you know, Philip Marlowe has to figure out who did it. You know that, like, there's going to be somebody that's going to be in charge who did that. And, but what you have to do, what William Cooper was brilliant at, was figuring out who was going to get the blame. Gotcha. And Osama Bin Laden was the perfect case. I mean, Lee Harvey Oswald, I mean, all these guys, all these patches right. that have been, like, around the dustbin of history, you know? Right. <laughs> you know those guys. Well, you know? I think... It's, it's dozens of them, you know? Dozens, yeah. Do oh, man, they just never st stop. You don't know that there's so many patsies. You can write a book on patsies. But, uh, no, it's actually yeah. a great idea in a way. There you go. There's your next book. Yeah. Just gave you a book idea. Well, I don't know if I'll do it, but I'll be happy to read it if you do it. Okay. Well, it wouldn't be the first time I've given people book ideas, so I won't feel miffed. Well, you I know, I mean, there's a lot of books I like to read. I don't really want to write them, so I'm happy to give people book ideas. <laughs> I, know. I know. Writing a book is a whole other, a whole other process. Yeah, let somebody right? else do the work. Yeah, really. I mean, it's exactly. hard. I mean, it is hard work. It's very hard work, and like you know, as I get older, it gets harder and harder. You know, but um, you know, it's just. But I think that uh, for somebody with a like, I'm seventy now, but I feel like I couldn't have written this book about Bill Cooper when I was a younger person because I wouldn't have been able to understand, sympathize with him in the way that I was able to do it. Because I mean, he's a guy who. You know, he's got PTSD from Vietnam. I mean, he's got all kinds of stuff like that. I feel is very much indicative of people from my generation. You know, like, it was kind of like a, in a way, there's this deep thing that people felt at that time of growing up. And I'm almost, that would be at least about four or five years older than me. But, um, you know, it was sort of kind of time. And I, and he felt a lot of stuff that, um, see, if I'm living in New York, for instance, you know, surrounded by all these screaming liberal types, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're going to hear a certain kind of thing. Just like if you were living out somewhere where, you know, people only only believe another way, you know. Right. Well, I, I mean, you, I, you I, could I have, hate that. I hate yeah. that. <laughs> well, you couldn't have picked something as far as diametrically opposed to New York as going to eager... Arizona, right? I mean, that's a kind of pretty. Well, I mean, I'm an, I'm an American. I'm an American, you know. I mean, like I, I really believe that America's. I'm hoping this country makes it because I feel happy to be an American. And those people out there in Eager, Arizona, and the people down the block from where I am in Brooklyn, they're all Americans, you know. It just, um, I think people can get along a little better if they thought about what they had commonalities between people in terms of differences. Excellent you know? point. That's an excellent point. I mean, well, you know, I mean, it's like, what's the, what's the point? You know, if you're not going to try to work it out. True. I mean, I, I like to see it happen. I mean, that was uh, one of the interesting aspects of, of Bill Cooper that I didn't know was his California ties. He was really a California, uh, you know, child he's, growing he's, up in Long Beach. Well, he's a, he was a military brat, really, for the most part. I mean, he lived in Japan. But the, but the California thing was always, it must have stuck with him because he was born in Long Beach. He was actually in the VA hospital in Long Beach on two occasions as well. 
But um, the uh, you know, I just think he, he, he seemed like a California guy. I never really seen. I mean, I never met him, but he didn't seem like an Arizona guy. He seemed more like a California guy. Yeah, I mean, but, you talk um, about his time in Berkeley, driving Skyline. That was kind of my territory in Northern Cal, so I didn't know that he had oh, that. Kind well, of, me, me, me too, me too. I yeah, love to have that. Um, but, uh, you know, he was, uh, I don't know, I just find him to be, even now, I find him to be a fascinating figure. And I've, I've been interesting, the reaction to the book has been interesting, I find. And what, what, because, was, that, what, what was that about? The well, reaction? I mean, you know, most most of the uh, most of the most of the people I know, like these people that um, you know, what you might call, I I know a lot of people. You know, people I know that are on the left, so-called left, they hate the book because they don't want to read anything about a guy like that because he's supposedly a right winger. And real the heavy duty like Bill Cooper fans, some heavy duty Bill Cooper fans do not want to read it because it's like. What Doyle said, Shamley said exactly in the book, is that he doesn't want to be the one that chopped down the cherry tree, you know? Right. You know, he doesn't want to put anything nasty, negative about the hero, so that's people don't like it. But there's this whole bunch of people that really do like it, um, in the sense of, like, mostly right libertarians, libertarians on the right, they really like it, and hip hop people, they really like it. But, um, and, um, and it's like, it's just a fascinating experience, you know. So I got a, I got a, I got a uh, Instagram account which has a, like a lot of different post things about the book, just sort of like a whole different version of the book, like a uh -huh. visual version of the book, which people can look at and follow if they want. It's called Pale Horse Rider Book. Pale Horse Rider and, Book, all all one word. Yeah. Gotcha. And um, it has like. Well, a whole bunch of postings there that are just sort of like about the book or a little off the topic, you know, things that are, things that are like, you know, you might have wished I'd gotten to the book or whatever, you know, and then it's, there's some fairly long write-ups. I enjoy doing that. And, um, you know, it's been, it's, that's been gratifying. I get a lot of response from that. There was one guy that I thought was the best thing, one of the best things that ever happened about the book was, uh, it was a guy named Truth Punch, still on there. And he was like, you know, very uh, upset about the book when it first came out because, um, you know, he, he thought that like I besmirched Cooper's reputation or something like that. So I said, well, I mean, you know, Mr. Punch, I mean, you know, like, why are you doing that? Because didn't Bill Cooper used to say they got to do your own research, you know, and you're supposed to like, you haven't, you haven't even read the stupid book and you're telling me how bad it is. So... I said, I'll make you a deal. I bet if I send you a free copy, and if you like it, then you have to buy a copy for a friend of yours. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And he read the book, and he actually really enjoyed the book and found he learned a lot of stuff about Bill Cooper. And he also, you know, felt that I'd done a good job. And that really, you know, and he wrote me back, and I felt really good about that because he was a guy who was going to be... Uh, he was just going to think what he thought before he before he read the book because he's never going to read the book. And then he went ahead and read the book, and he changed his mind, which I think is the essence of Bill Cooper, the best sense of Bill Cooper. Because you do your own research and you make up your mind, but you have to know you got to read stuff that you don't necessarily agree with, you know, something like that, perhaps. And, um, and then you make a thing, you have to come up with a new idea. So that was seen as very gratifying. That's cool. That That's a great time. story. That's a great story. I mean, yeah, that, that's guy. happened to me, too. Some people don't know what's in the context of my books. Some people actually think I'm a cruelly admirer. They don't, they don't really even know what I wrote about it for my critique. But, yeah, so I've well, had no, some similar I feel like, I mean, people, people just don't use their heads very much. You know? and they, and they just, also, there's just a lot of haters out there. You know? That's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's the Internet. I mean, I think that's one of the right. interesting things about about uh, Cooper. One one thing, it wasn't just about his freedom was based in cognitive liberty, like cognitive thinking. Like, look at these yeah, documents. No, look at completely. this. Look at this. You know, come here and do your own research. But this is what I'm telling you. And I mean, I think uh, in that regard, he really he had that kind of American trait of individual, you know, freedom. So I mean, I do think that he he was a remarkable, truly American figure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, he was a great American. There's no doubt about it. You know, I mean, he just was—he was somebody that led, also he went out on a limb. You know, 
he was he was not that stable as a human a human being. I don't think you know. I mean, it was a struggle for him, and because he had all kinds of backsliding and stuff like that. But he was determined to like do this thing, and he basically did it. And and uh, the fact that he got shot by the cops at the end, I mean, it's like, you know, how can you come up with a better ending than that? You know? It's a remarkable <laughs> bookend. Yeah. And he had kind of predicted it, or, I mean, or had stated, I'm going to yeah, die no, on he, my porch, and then he predicted. died on his porch. He died on his porch, on his front porch, and almost exactly the, the very time he predicted he would. Like, he said midnight, and it was like, I think he, the, the time of his death was 12.10. So, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty close. So, um, you know, I just, I mean, it's just so many fascinating things about him that yeah. I, I never got tired of, of working on it. He was one of the only, well, the only two people I know at that time, which included William Cooper, who kind of read 9-11, in my opinion, correctly, was him and Dave McGowan, another kind of researcher in the same type of vein as uh, Bill Cooper. And I was lucky to meet Dave McGowan, but those are really the only, I mean, I didn't figure it out for years later. But they uh, were they were the two. Well, what, what, what is your what is your what's your opinion what's your opinion about building number seven? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that shows that the, there's something different going on than the public story. So, building seven flopped, controlled demolition. Um, you know, I think nine eleven was a planned well, event. So, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I happen to see building number seven personally fall down, and I couldn't tell you what happened, but you know. I'm just there being doing my job, but um, were you, you know, what, a, were you working at the time? Were you recording it just personally? Yeah, I was, working, I was, a, I was a reporter. Yeah, I wrote several right. pieces about it. But the thing is that um, so I was actually there, so and I still have no idea what happened. Well, do you think that it just found it fell down under a stiff wind, or do you think that it was demolished? No, I don't think it fell oh. down under a stiff wind. I mean, you know, I, I'm building number seven is like I'll tell you a story, which. Um, is in this piece which you can look up, which I think it's called, uh, I can't remember, maybe it's from, it's from New York Magazine, like 1995, maybe or something like that. Um, so, uh, the, uh, you know, what were you we just talking about? Just my grandchild just went by. That's okay. <laughs> it was Building 7, and you were going to tell me a story about... Oh, Building uh, Number 7. Actually, so I, went, I was doing a story about it. And they put out this NIST report, you know about that? Uh-huh, the NIST Big, report, Big, yeah. fat book, you know, about, about what supposedly happened. Right? And I was talking to the chief engineer about it, and the, I'm, like, thumbing through it, and I said, well, Mr., I can't remember, he's an Indian guy, I can't remember his last name. But uh, I said, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I don't get it. I mean, there's all this stuff here about building number, about the towers, but there's nothing here about building number seven. He didn't bother to explain that. So he said, well, um, you know, he kind of he kind of blew me off a little bit. And then later, I, I saw him again. I said, so what about building number seven? You know, because he knew I was from the New York Magazine, a fairly well-known magazine. He knew he had to give me an answer. At least lie or something like that. He says, "Well, I'll tell you the truth. We never could figure out what happened." <laughs> <laughs> so he's mystified too, and he wrote the report on it, right? I mean, like you know, he wrote the report. All right. Still scratching his head. I mean, they couldn't figure it out. So, like you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I thought he was. I, when he told me that, I felt he was being completely honest. Like they really had no clue. <laughs> well, I, I do think it was remarkable, and you included in your book that Bill Cooper keyed into George Bush Senior speech where he mentions the New World Order, and I think you were, it was the 9/11 oh, yeah. date, he, right? He, he, yeah, he knew about that right away. I mean, you know, you, you hear that a lot now, but I mean, right. he was talking about it back then. I mean, he just was really sharp about this. I mean, because he really believed in the New World Order, and most people do, and most people are smart to believe in it. It's just like what your definition of it, it might differ. Right. But there's definitely people that are in charge. So, yes. You know, and and, uh, and you should never, never, you know, I think that's where you got to do your own research, because these people are not always, I don't believe that they're always the same. I believe they do, ch they change. But there are always this group of people that are, are somehow in charge. Right. There's an oligarchy. The, it's the iron rule of oligarchy, right? So there's always uh, well, the oligarchy. I mean, now it's coming. Now it's becoming out. So it's so out in the open now. Right. Yeah. They don't even bother to lie to you anymore. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, I, you know, one thing. Like, just to let you know, one of the things that influenced me most about Cooper was his 
Mystery Babylon series that was based on secret societies, and I just thought that mm -hmm. for me it was fantastic. His analysis of the UN, really interesting analysis of Kubrick's nine. Oh, that UN, that UN was a UN episode. It was one of the best ones I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, that was a, a remarkable. So. Well, that's actually, he just for that. I think you can get the pamphlet. I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's he just reads from a pamphlet for that particular that particular episode. Interesting. It's called. Um, I think it's. I can find it. I can look at my notes and send you. That's right. You included in the book, I think, some YouTube channels where they they have a lot of his, you know, sign of the times and mystery Babylon series. Like they're kept up. Like people are making sure that those oh. are still available online. Oh, you can get all of those, and you can also get the transcripts, which are pretty interesting, because sometimes, you know, people like to read it rather than listen to it. Sure. Um, and, uh, and if you also, one of the things I always liked about Bill Cooper's shows, which he did in Mystery Babylon quite a bit, was like the songs that he would choose to play in, while, while the show was on were often exceedingly what you might call hip. Very interesting. <laughs> you know? so, I mean, he had good taste in he, he music. Was, he had great taste in music, and he would play stuff like, uh, speaking of, and it was so like, you know, when he found out that the hip-hop guys were interested in his book, he was just so overjoyed, because he really liked black music. Interesting. One time he played uh, some old George Clinton song, the one of Atomic Dog, Right, yeah. On the show. And, uh, you know, the one that goes, whoop, whoop, whoop. Right. <laughs> so it's Cooper's doggy dog. Yeah, that's the most, yeah. Yeah, Cooper, he knows that most of the people who listen to him hate that kind of music. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's saying, like, this is good music. You may not know it, but it's good music. That George Clinton song is very influential in hip hop. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, George yeah, Clinton. I think you wrote about Louis Armstrong, too. Yeah, he, he, Louis oh, he, Armstrong, he loved right? Louis Armstrong and um, Sam Cooke. Actually, one of his best broadcasts is called Vomit from the Sheeple, I think it's called. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he, he's lambasting his listeners, as he always did, you know, because they're so stupid and lazy, you know, they won't do anything, you know, just there, you know. You know, he wants to get people to get off their ass. So he says, well, what about this guy? And then he just plays this long Louis Armstrong thing, says, why don't you be more like him? You know, he just got off his ass and learned how to do this stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. it's a fantastic broadcast. Self-made trumpet player, right? Self-learned? Well, I mean, just like, like Cooper was a trumpet player, and he was very serious about it. You know, he did but he, he had a trumpet that he got when he was a kid, and he always tried to be good at it, and he was pretty good. But then he would, like, fall back, and then he practiced more and stuff like that. But anyhow, you know, it's just, it was a weird experience doing a book about that because I kind of went outside my little so-called comfort zone, mm -hmm. and um, it was it was worthwhile, you know, it was, worth, cool. it was worthwhile. And you did, I mean, like I said earlier in the thing, you talked to so many, so many people that he knew, people that I've written about, Robert Anton Wilson. You know, other people that I've run into. Are you a like Robert Anton Wilson fan? Well, I was in, very interested in the Illuminatus trilogy, and he was he was a real Crowley admirer in addition to his other oh, stuff. Was he so, really? Yeah, so he I'm would reference to, I'm Crowley. I'm surprised to hear that. So both like, he and Leary were both pals, you know. Timothy Leary, who you mentioned right. his dad. But Leary himself thought he was carrying on Crowley's tradition. So he was friends with the Anton Wilson. Right? I, I, yeah. didn't know, I didn't know they were that, they were that close in, in kind of beliefs. Their sensibility. I like to read well. about that. Well, if you read my book, Children of the Beast, I'll send you a copy. Children of the Beast, Alistair Crowley's Shadow of Humanity. I talk about Anton Wilson's connection to Crowley and Deliri. So when I saw some oh, of these figures, and I actually, there was an interesting vignette I included in my book, which was between Jacques Vallée, Robert Anton Wilson, Wilson, and another guy who was really Crowley's disciple, a guy by the name of Grady McMurtry, talking about UFOs, whether they were from mm. this universe or from another dimension, you know. So it was interesting conversations about stuff yeah, that people are Jack talking Pillay, about. I actually just saw Jack Pillay in in the flesh about six months ago at a Philip K. Dick, you know, the sci-fi writer, yeah. um, the one that wrote Blade Runner. Um, uh, the Philip K. Dick Film Festival, and he was he was yeah that he was there. Jack Pillay was there. I, I suppose he was dead, but there he was. Um, so, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that he knew, that knew Robert Anton Wilson. 
But Wilson Wilson is a Wilson is a fascinating figure too, and I love that. I, I, that was one of my favorite things that I found when I found that Cooper and Robert S. on Wilson have been in the same panel. Right. Well, it's just so typical. It's so typical of William Cooper is that he's screaming and shouting at Robert Anton Wilson like he does with everybody else. You know, at some point, you know, it all devolves Robert to Anton William Wilson Cooper. Going to go like, well, what's your problem, Buster? <laughs> oh my gosh! You, I mean, you have that part. That must have been funny. That must have been oh funny. my gosh! You have, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that you have. It's interesting because you have Cooper saying you guys aren't taking this serious. And then you have these guys who think the universe is a big joke going, yeah, you're right. It's just a big joke. Discordianism and all this, these other philosophies that he yeah. was involved in. Well, 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 Cooper had, uh, he had that, um, the Discordian, the, that yellow handbook. That, right. Principia Discordia or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. He had that in his collection of books. When he died, he had that. That was one thing that Doyle hit me too. He, 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 you know, he had a list of the books that Cooper had, and then he also had the Cosmic Trigger, which is a Robert Anton Wilson book. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and it was kind of interesting to see what books he had because he was a tremendous reader. He just read all the stuff. That's cool. So, That's cool. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, Mark, we are coming. We've uh, passed fifty minutes, so I mean, we can just wrap this up. I'll let you go. I know it's a Friday night. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, I'm happy to talk about. This. I love talking about this stuff, so I don't mind awesome. doing that in time. Awesome. Well, you know, I can probably set you up with some other interviews. But where can people buy your book? Is there a better place than Amazon? Do you have a website? Well, I, well, I wish it was a. I wish it was a better place than Amazon. I really do, um, but. That's probably the best place to get it, and uh, I mean they have it in all the bookstores. It's, yeah. it's a Random House Penguin Random House book, so yeah, yeah it's an excellent it. book. Highly recommended. A great piece of right. Americana I appreciate history. Appreciate you doing that. So Stay it's man. great. And also, your Instagram is Pale Horse Rider Book, all one word, so people can go yeah. check that out as well. And your last name there's is a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there. Cool. It's Jacobson, J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N, so people don't misspell that. Mark Jacobson. And the book title, yeah, again... Mark with a K. Mark with a K, please. Mark with a K, right. So I'm sure you get people misspelling it. But the book well, title... Actually, people that spell it with a C, they actually wish they knew a lot of people from France. So anyway. Gotcha. <laughs> the title of the book, again, is Pale Horse Rider, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy, and the Fall of Trust in America. Excellent book. Thank you so much for the conversation. Well, thank you, William. I I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right.